Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. And after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated and let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Mark doesn't like to be boring. And with that, he doesn't like to be long-winded. He likes to be very short and to the point. And here, in seven verses, he's taken his entire gospel narrative and he's shrunken it down. He's taken the 15,000 words that we have on average in our English translations and, and shrunk it down to 130 words. It's the summation of the gospel that we have before us this morning. The the whole story of Jesus and his work. We have, in those days, Jesus came. There should just be a hard period right there, right? Christmas, incarnation, Jesus came. Ta-da! Baby in the golden diapers in Bethlehem, right? Thank you, Ricky Bobby. The Jesus we need coming into the world that we live in. And then we have the sermon from the cloud. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. We don't just have Jesus of Nazareth now. We don't just have the baby in the golden diapers anymore. We don't just have Jesus born to Mary or, or, or the carpenter's son or anything like that. Now we have Christ, the Son of God, revealed to us. Something more than just a nice guy. We have, we have in the words of, of Josh McDowell, more than a carpenter. The story of, of Mark's gospel being this particular Jesus in verse 1, chapter 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, making a distinction for us. Not just another guru, not just another uh, uh, self-help dude, but somebody more important, something more that's going to be happening here. And then we have one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture where we're told that the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness so he can be tempted. What we see here is the battle between Christ and Satan, good and evil. If you read the entire gospel from beginning to end, that's what you see the whole time, right? Jesus driving out demons, correct? Am I right or am I wrong? Driving out demons, healing the sick, those who are dying, raising the dead, a war, a battle is taking place. We tend to overlook it because we, ni- we like the nice pretty stories, we like the nice sermons that he gives, we like, maybe like the parables, but there's actually something happening here that is beyond any understanding that we can have, some sort of cosmic confrontation. 
But then we finally have it in verse 15. After all of that tempting, after all of that being driven out into the wilderness, what do we hear? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. What we hear is that he wins. The kingdom is a foreshadowing of the cross and that empty tomb. But we're not there yet. We've already had Christmas, the whole Jesus coming thing. Yeah, we've got that. We had Jesus' baptism already. The epiphany there where where we know about this whole Jesus thing. We've had that text. We've even had the Jesus winning text. We had that just a few weeks ago, but now it's the first Sunday of Lent. And Lent actually finds us right smack dab in the middle of verse 13. He was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan. We get the war. It says immediately the Spirit did something immediately, right after his baptism, right after it was proclaimed, this is more than just a nice guy, this is more than just Jesus of Nazareth, this is somebody else, more important than anyone else in the history of the world. It says the Spirit immediately sent him out into the wilderness. And the word that's used there that that says drove him out is actually the same word that's used when Jesus casts out a demon, where it says Jesus cast the demon out, threw it out. He gets thrown out of any sort of world that we might understand, and he gets thrown into another one, a place that uh, would be considered a place of demons. That would be a symbol of that wilderness in the first century. The wilderness, the abandoned places, would be the places of the demons, the darkness. And so we see this haunted space being the realm of a war between two kingdoms, Christ and the kingdom that the devil thinks he has, that evil thinks they have. They have, and, 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 and um, the problem for us is that we've watched too much Saturday Night Live, where basically evil and Satan are just a parody. We've watched too many Looney Tunes cartoons where we have the angel on one side and the devil on the other, right? Or the church lady from Saturday Night Live. Could it be Satan? Right? Anybody? Did I jump the shark or no? Okay, good. We tend to want to deny that evil exists. We never want to imagine that there's something in this world that is so dark that it would make any movie on Netflix seem tame in comparison. Just to give you a perspective, just in the last two days, 37 men were arrested in Arizona for sex trafficking. For a sex trafficking ring. Men who were selling children and other human beings for their own gratification. Or we just had it happen in Itasca County, seven men caught. Don't tell me that evil doesn't exist in the world. We can, we can talk about, oh, well, they made him a fake. No, I'm prepared to say that's evil. When you take a minor and you're going to sell them or use them for your own purposes. So we can't sit here and believe that evil does not exist. And never mind the fact that the Scriptures are full of the reality that there's something happening, a fight happening between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Uh, Our Lord's Prayer, for instance, what do we pray for one of the petitions? Deliver us from... Some of our translations actually say the evil one. Because it can be translated that way. Where our liturgy for baptism, do you renounce evil, the devil, and all his empty promises? When you baptized your child, you said, I do. Or when you were baptized, you said, I do. 
Or Paul, writing in Romans 12.9, hate what is evil. 12.21, do not be overcome with evil. Or in Romans 7, he talks about this war between his flesh of what, what he wants to do and what he can't. The whole simul utus, uh, justus et peccator, the, the whole Lutheran understanding of the war between sinner and saint that's always going on within us. Or, or 1 John, where, where John talks about the evil one probably, I think, about 14 times. Or we have Ephesians chapter 6. Most of us probably remember this one rather easily. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God. Remember this from Vacation Bible School? Anybody from 40 years ago, maybe? So that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, it says. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We either have to ask the question, is this just anachronistic? Is Paul just writing for first century people and now we're just too smart? We're enlightened. Or is this something that we actually have to hold on to realizing that it could be true? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Standing with that belt of truth, right? Around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness. Shoes for your feet that you put on to make you ready to proclaim the good news of the gospel of peace. With all these, taking up the shield of faith that you might extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Is this anachronistic? Is this something that, oh, well, it was a nice thing that Paul wrote for Sunday school kids, but not for us. We're adults now. We went to college. We We know how the world works. Or is there something else? We usually go all Ebenezer Scrooge on it. Well, you could just be a piece of underdone potato, overcooked meat. There's more of gravy than of grave about you. Where we get this picture of the denial of the reality of something beyond what we can physically touch that can cause some issues. Because what actually is happening here with Jesus is, is this war comes down to a testing of him. It, our, our, our translations betray us when they, when they use that word tempted because when we hear temptation, what do we think of? We, we think of that, that second piece of pie, maybe? Chocolate, alcohol, sex, gambling, that last cookie, any sort of distraction that we might get. Or, or the, the TV show Biggest Loser, they usually always have that temptation night where they get sent into a room with all the foods that they loved, that they ate all the time. And they're given like 10 minutes in there and they can eat or not. That's the picture that we have of temptation. We make it about these little things that we can just control if we just have self-control. And yet the word actually means testing. To to test whether something can be done. Or or to prove the quality of something. To see if something is is up to snuff for for the vintage that it's supposed to be. or, Or to test one's faith By the lure of sin, meaning to lose faith. Not to, to, oh, backslide on a a special diet that we have for Lent, no. Because if you remember, 
Mark doesn't really, Mark doesn't tell the whole story of the temptation. Matthew and Luke do. They, they go into detail about what happens there. And, and if you remember that, we have Jesus being mocked about whether he really is the Son of God. After being told that he is in that sermon at his baptism, the devil comes to him and says, well, if you really are the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? You're hungry. It's been 40 days of fasting. Why don't you do this? Wanting to test Jesus to see whether he is the Son of God. Or have him take him, take him up on top of the, the highest point of the temple and says, why don't you throw, your down, throw yourself down? The Scriptures say that God will protect you. Your Father will, will protect you. Let's see if you're worth it. Let's see if you're the type of Jesus that he will save. Or he says, look at all the kingdoms of the world that I pretend to have, the devil says. Why don't you trust me instead of God and I will give you all these things. Basically, what the devil is doing here in this battle is he's wanting to steal our Jesus from us. Steal the Jesus that we, that we need. Because we have this test of whether Jesus is the Jesus we need. Of Well, if you really are the Son of God. So, which is why, for instance, that, that, that sermon from the cloud is so important for us that we might know that this is the Son of God. Something more, someone more than just a carpenter's son. But also we have this Jesus then that is fulfilling basically what the Israelites failed to do and what we failed to do because the Israelites are in the wilderness for 40 years and they spend that entire time denying God as their God, as the one who's going to provide for them, even though he does it regularly, denying, never wanting to trust that God is going to do what God says. And then the devil wants to test test him whether he'll be protected from danger, whether he's going to be, whether he's going to be kept safe for whatever it is that... that, that uh, the devil thinks that a, that a Savior is supposed to do. Uh, but the reality is, is that we need the Jesus who tastes danger, right? That's the type of Jesus that we have. The evil one wants a crossless Jesus. He wants a Jesus that's kept safe because a, a safe Jesus is not a dangerous Jesus. A, a dangerous Jesus is a dying Jesus. Because in death, he kills sin, and in resurrection, death dies, and the battle is won. And the devil doesn't want that. Because the devil can control us in any way he wants through sin, through fear, through anxiety, through lack of trust. Like I said, he wants to take away the Jesus that we need. He wants to rob us of the person that we're supposed to place our trust in as the fulfillment of all the attempts that we try to do to make ourselves, for instance, have a good Lent of fasting and weeping and mourning instead of holding on to Christ. And then he wants to test whether, whether Jesus can fulfill the, the, the position that we usually give him. The devil actually wants the WWJD Jesus. The one that will sit here and go, oh, what would Jesus do? Oh, we better be like Jesus. We better do these things. Never mind that it includes maybe making a whip and kicking people out of the temple. Or saying things like, uh, repent or you shall likewise perish. We don't like that Jesus. That's not the Jesus that we put up on the paintings and... and, and, and hang in our dining rooms. Or the activist Jesus, the, that Jesus uh, that, that we want to get so caught up in political policy and legislation and, and procedures that we, that we try to put in place to contain our sin, to subdue it, to try, to try and pretend that we have some control 
over the evil that exists in the world instead of having the Jesus who forgives the very sins those policies fail to subdue. Who gives us a way out. Because Lent actually becomes this battleground, this battleground between bondage and freedom. Christ coming to set us free from our fears of death, from our fears of not having enough faith. And so he comes and he shows himself to us as the Jesus that we're supposed to hold on to. The Jesus that is completely different than all the evil promises that are brought to us in other ways. Temptation not being found in little treats, but in losing the Jesus of Scripture. Temptation not being found in the allure of worldly desires, although those those can be a problem. Someone said after Ash Wednesday, well, I guess I don't need to give up my crack problem for, for Lent. I said, well no, I don't think you need to give it up for Lent. You should give it up just to give it up because like, kill you. But no, we shouldn't be focusing up, well, I better be giving this up, but instead I should be holding on to Christ because all it takes is one more pandemic and our faith might be lost. One more moment to realize that we are mortal and there's something out there stronger than us. That last temptation being the loss of the Christ who has gained the victory over the world for you where Christ comes to us and says, I've overcome the world. It's not about the subjugation of your body. It's not about about the, the ability for us to pray correctly and weep when it comes time for confession of sin and all these things, but it's instead to hold on to Christ as much as we can, to make the cross and the Jesus that is on it as true as possible. And so that's why we always begin Lent here. You may have noticed this, but the first Sunday of Lent, regardless of the year in our lectionary, always begins with the temptation of Christ. It always begins there. Because the door is opened wide to this reality of of this war that's trying to rob us of the Jesus that we are supposed to be walking with to Calvary. And so it's there that we might know our Christ more than just the Jesus of Nazareth, but the Son of God and the Son who goes to the cross for us. And in that cross actually wins the victory victory that we need over what Luther calls sin, death, and the devil. And I'm not talking about somebody in bad red pajamas with really horrible horns and a plastic pitchfork, but something real that comes to us not to to torment us with, with some sort of issue of not getting a diet right or praying enough or whatever it might be, but one who's coming to try and take away our faith and the one who bled and died for us and has risen that we might be a new creation in him. And with that, we say thanks be to God. Amen.